0: He's going off the deep end fast. My dad was a great guy that was awesome to have around. He was a lover of music. So, um, you know, we grew up, I grew up with a lot of music in the household.
1: I want to thank everybody for coming out to our birthday Bash birthday party.
0: And people would just come to his favorite karaoke bar from across town to see him uh, sing karaoke. I think she's your biggest fan. Yes. It's something that brought him so much joy that... You know, he, you know, in his normal sort of week to week, he would go sing karaoke two or three times a week. It was definitely an outlet of joy. It is a great opportunity to just let your hair down and dance and um, just kind of be yourself. And mind you, just like most karaoke singers, he could not carry a tune to save his life but he approached (laughs) it with gusto, and that did not stop him at all. A Hard Day's Night by The Beatles. And so my dad, you know, that was his chosen song. It was also his favorite song to sing on his birthday, uh, which just passed in August. Identified a little bit with the song um, too, and the lyrics, just about being a hard worker and also having a love for life. And during this whole transition time, I very much was the person, you know, talking to my parents every single day about the risks, about um, how we needed to take this really seriously, and I had multiple you know, one-on-one conversations with both of them about the need to, you know, really be diligent um, about uh, wearing masks, um, keeping distance, you know, not doing karaoke, not, you know, taking out, taking any additional trips out. Uh, We talked about it. Uh, His response was, well, Kristen, I hear what you're saying, but why would the president be saying it's safe if it's not. Why would the governor be saying it's safe if it's not? And I just couldn't compete with that at all. And so when, you know, my dad's friends called to say, "Hey, the karaoke place is back open. Let's have a celebration. You know, we're on the other side of this." You know, my dad said, "Yeah, let's it's time to sing a hard day's night again." Um that you know resulted in my dad becoming ill. And, you know, the two weeks and five days after that, passing away.
2: Welcome to Side Dish, a Petri Dish podcast extra. I'm your host, Bonnie Petri, and you might be wondering, what is this? We still have our regular show every other week where we explore COVID-19 and the challenges in science, medicine, health, and humanity that go along with the pandemic. Here on Side Dish, we'll feature extended interviews one-on-one with people we think you might want to meet, that you might need to meet. Today we hear from two people who lost people they love to COVID-19. You've already met Kristen Urquiza. She shot into the public consciousness this summer when the obituary she wrote for her dad went viral. She told us a bit about him a minute ago, and I'll share more of my conversation with her in a few minutes. But first, I'd like to introduce you to someone else, another woman who had to write an obituary far too soon. Let's keep the banana. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> For her mom. Isabel Papa Demetrio. That's her voice right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isabel tickle, 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 tickle. was crazy about her granddaughter, Lua. Banana. Oh yes, so Lua's mom is Isabel's daughter, Fianna Garza Tulip. So Fiana and Isabel were extremely close. Isabel was a young mom, you know, and they kind of grew up together. Even though in recent years, mother and daughter were separated by more than a thousand miles. Fiona lives in New York City and Isabel was in Dallas. There was never any static in their connection. And Lua's birth just meant there was more love for everyone, as you can hear in Isabel's voicemails. Hey, it's mom. I'm gonna go to sleep already. So I'm hoping yeah. you're having a wonderful time. I love you both, you and Charlie, and, and just take care of yourself. Enjoy the weekend. I just wanted to hear your voice, and
1: I thought that was so cute. Little Lua laughing with you. She's so sweet.
2: Just want to make sure my little, my little ducklings are doing fine. I love you. Good night, and I'll talk to you
1: soon. Goodbye. Her voice was so sweet and special.
2: So what was your favorite memory of your mom? It's
1: the, I, I, it's the memory of us. She would come home from work. I don't know how old I was, but I was pretty young. And she would teach me these songs. She used to work for Mary Kay and she had these songs that they would learn to kind of pump them up and, and get them, you know, excited about selling Mary Kay products. And she taught me that, but she also taught me, um, some chance some empowerment chants, and my favorite was um the chant it would just go so simple I'm sure she made it up it would go fight 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 for what you know is right fight 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 for what you know is right and I would march around like this <laughs> And I would just follow her and she would go up and down. She used to be a baton twirler. So she would pretend she was twirling her baton and I would follow her and march around. And even up until recently, she she would repeat that to me. I was uh, protesting with the Black Lives Matter movement with my husband and my daughter. They were were right on our front doorstep, so I couldn't help it. But um, I posted a photo of that on Instagram and she commented um, with fight for what you know is right. So it's always been a, a mantra of ours. I remember I was younger and she would come home with her, all of her anatomy books and she was coloring in all the different parts, of the heart and the lungs. And I thought she was just, you know, having fun, but she was learning how to be a respiratory therapist. She was a, a bank teller before that. And she changed her mind or she didn't change her mind, but she decided that she wanted to help people and that she wanted to spend the rest of her life and in her, in her career helping people. So she she went back to school and she studied day and night, and she worked hard um, to really understand this industry. And um, you know, she's been doing it for thirty years, and she's one of the best, I have to say.
2: You know, you're speaking about her in the present tense. Oh, I didn't even realize it's hard, right? It, yeah. What that tells me is maybe you're having some some trouble with the idea that she's gone.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and I don't know if it's because it's it's a COVID death. I, I don't know if that's why. It's very hard to find closure because in my heart, I feel like her death was preventable and that it didn't need to happen. And, you know, the process of grieving just isn't really there for us. You know, I mean, it's there, but it's, it's not... Easy, yeah, everyone's grieving. We can't be there for each other because we've all lost someone. We can't gather because it's dangerous. So we're not given the opportunity to really grieve and mourn. and so I, I don't know if I'll ever have closure and and that's probably why I'm speaking her, like, like about her that way.
2: So if you don't mind, just um, tell me how this all unfolded. Did she get exposed at work? Was she afraid of getting sick?
1: I didn't feel the fear and I don't know if that's because, and, and she didn't express the fear. She constantly told me and my brother that she was gonna be okay. She was she was safe, she was doing all of the things, you know, wearing the masks and she was staying safe. And I, I think she trusted her, her, her place of work too, that, that they were keeping her safe. Um, And she worked in a rehab clinic. So they weren't supposed to take COVID patients, but ultimately when the spike hit hit Texas, they had to. She said, and my mom has been through so much and she's been through many flu outbreaks and she's come out okay. And she said, don't worry about me. I'm, I'm stronger than an ox. And I knew that, I believed that. And so for her to get, Sick and pass away, it wasn't something I ever thought would happen. In fact, my father lives in South Texas in Brownsville, and I was more worried about him catching the virus because of what's happening down there. So I called him every single day with Lua to make sure that he saw her just in case he died. I didn't think to do that with my mom because I knew my mom was going to be here for another 30 years.
2: Fiona told me COVID took her mother quickly. She hadn't really had time to process that her mom was even sick before she was dead, in the maelstrom of emotions that comes with the sudden death of of someone you just you just love more than life life itself. Fiona packed her little family up and they drove from New York City to Dallas. And then, Fiona, carrying out her mother's wish to be buried in her South Texas hometown of Brownsville, she and her little family drove nine hours more. And fueled by love and grief and pain and rage, Fiona wrote her mother's obituary.
1: Isabel was a giant, powerful in her kindness. Like thousands of others marked by COVID, she should still be alive today. Her undeserving death is due to the carelessness of politicians who undervalue healthcare workers through lack of leadership, refusal to acknowledge the severity of this crisis, and unwillingness to give clear and decisive direction to minimize the risks of coronavirus. Isabel's death was was preventable. Her children are channeling their grief and anger into ensuring fewer families endure this nightmare.
2: Fiona Garza Tulip, inspired by Kristen Urquiza, wrote what they both call an honest obituary. And now Kristen and Fiona help other people submerged in their own grief read obituaries for loved ones through the organization Kristen founded after her dad died, called Marked by COVID. Which brings us back to Kristen and her dad, before her obituary for her father was shared hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of times on social media, bringing her to national prominence and leading her to become an outspoken advocate for families of those who've died of COVID, Kristen was Mark Anthony Arquiza's little girl. I talked to her about that and how she feels now when she sees pictures of her father's open and friendly face on television and on the internet shared by so many people.
0: Oh, I have a mix of emotions. I mean, I, you know, every picture you see of my dad, um, he just has this huge smile on his face and this twinkle to his eyes and it goes back to childhood. And over the course of the last couple of months, I've had so many people who are friends of my dad's or acquaintances um, of our families really reiterate the point that your dad was full of life. And whenever he would walk into a room, you know, his smile would light up the room. And that's exactly who my dad was. Um, One of the things that my mom and I, you know, still talk about to this day is how he, whenever he entered a room into our house, his... You know, he would just boast, hey, is anybody home? And, you know, of course he knew we were home because our cars were out front, but it was just sort of his little <laughs> entry song that he had for himself. And it's just so, oh, it's just overwhelming to think about how that's something I won't ever hear again.
2: When your dad got sick, what were his first symptoms and how did you become aware that he was sick and did you know it was COVID? Um, how, did, how did that all go?
0: So my dad woke up on June 11th with a cough, um, a fever and extreme exhaustion. Uh, my mom called me, um, you know, moments after he woke up and he was not feeling well to tell me what was going on. And my immediate response was, "This sounds like COVID symptoms." Um, my dad's condition continued to deteriorate over the weekend, and we ended up needing to take him to the emergency room because his symptoms worsened. And it was in the at the hospital that he was able to get a rapid test, and um, we learned, you know, that it was COVID.
2: If it's not too painful. Can you tell me about his final days?
0: I would not wish a COVID death upon my worst enemy. It is undignified. You die alone and you're scared. You have you're in a medically induced coma, but you're still aware. And, you know, you're in the ICU. You're not allowed to see your loved ones and uh, you can hear some of the things that are going on. It is the most heartbreaking situation to know that your person or like one of your key people is terrified, fighting for their life, and all that they get is a 15 minute video conference. And you know, my dad's a nurse, um, was very great and she you know promised us to that she would hold my dad as my dad my dad's hand as he passed um, and tell him that I loved him and that my mom loved him and I've she's you know followed up with me since and confirmed that too and I'm so grateful for her generosity in that moment but you know that's a lot more than a lot of people get, especially whenever we're in a situation where you know hospitals are stretched.
2: Um, in May, I lost my brother, um, not to COVID, but um, he died in May, and I wrote his obituary, and it was it was excruciating. And you. You know you had to do the same thing for your dad and you sat down in front of the keyboard and you did it and that's what you did you sat down at your computer and and told the world about a man who was the 400 meter dash state champion and who was energetic and who was stubborn and who loved stargaze and and a man who shouldn't have died the way he did. And that obituary led to you ultimately speaking at the Democratic National Convention.
0: I'm Kristen Urquiza. I'm one of the many who has lost a loved one to COVID. My dad, Mark Anthony Urquiza, should be here today, but he isn't. He had faith in Donald Trump. He voted for him listen to him. My dad was a healthy 65-year-old. His only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump, and for that, he paid with his life.
2: The day I talked to Kristen was right after reporter Bob Woodward started releasing audio from his interviews with President Trump about the pandemic.
1: Uh, It's also more deadly than your you know, your, even your strenuous flus, this is deadly stuff.
0: I mean, I wasn't surprised, but I felt like I had been punched in the gut. Um, You know, I didn't really sleep at all last night. I kept on having these vivid dreams of literally pulling nails out of my dad's body. Um, It's infuriating,
2: So here we are several months into this pandemic and nearly 200,000 people have died from this terrible disease. It's easy sort of to become overwhelmed by the numbers, isn't it? 200,000 Americans dead since February from one disease that most of us had never heard of on New Year's Eve roughly the same number of people who live in Salt Lake City, Utah, are just... gone. It's difficult to get your head around and maybe just a little too easy to forget that each one of those people was... was somebody. If you're just measuring things in percentages, you might forget that those percentages are made up of real people who loved karaoke or who were young mothers who went to school to become respiratory therapists while raising their kids because they wanted to help people. Each one of those nearly 200,000 people was somebody's baby. Many of them were parents and siblings and husbands and wives. We can't forget that. We just can't let ourselves become numb to the sheer size and scope of this relentless pandemic and the enormity of this grief. Grief we're all experiencing in our own ways. Nearly 200,000 Americans are dead. One of them is named Isabel Papadimitriou. May she rest in peace. One of them is named Mark Anthony Orquiza. May he rest in peace. May all of them rest in peace. Thank you, Fiona and Kristen, for sharing your parents with us. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by Dominic Anthony Walsh and me. Our sound designer is Jacob Rosati. Our executive producer is Fernanda Camarena and our news director is Dan Katz. Petri Dish is a production of Texas Public Radio. Talk to you soon.